good to be with you this morning as we uh, open God's Word. we're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving this week. I had, uh, I thought, well, I'll get a head start. And so I was all ready to preach one message. And then I, for some reason, didn't have the peace about that message. And so I ended up with a different message. And so it's not from Philippians. It's going to be from Luke chapter 7 and verses 36 through 50. And, uh, and the title of this sermon this morning is A Thanksgiving Meal with Jesus. What would that look like? What would a Thanksgiving meal with Jesus look like? Um, I know we, we think of family and we think of the food, obviously the turkey, the dressing, and everything else that goes along with it. But what would a Thanksgiving meal with Jesus look like? Well, I think in Luke chapter 7, and especially the book of Luke, Luke gives us, if you, if you kind of think about Luke, the physician, gives us pictures of Jesus eating with people all through the book. It's about meals. Jesus is uh, often, I mean, he's described in Luke chapter seven, 5, he, he's eating with Levi the tax collector. And um, Luke 7, he's eating with uh, Simon the Pharisee and the uninvited lady that comes to the dinner. In Luke 10, uh, he's eating at the house of Mary and uh, Martha. Um, later on in Luke 11, uh, he's eating a meal. In Luke 14, it's, he's eating another meal. Luke 19, he's eating a meal with, he invites himself to Nathaniel's house for a meal. Uh, Luke 22 is the Last Supper, and he's eating uh, with his disciples the last meal, the su- Last Supper. The, uh, we would call that the Eucharist. And that Eucharist was, the Eucharist was a meal of thanksgiving. Um, and then later on, after he raises from the dead, what's he doing? The disciples are in the upper room, and he's eating a meal again. Um, and at the, at the uh, lake uh, beside the Galilee. And so Jesus says, uh, wants us to, to kind of, the, the meal is very symbolic in, in Luke, but it's more than just symbolic. It's really representing, representative of what Jesus wants to do in our lives. He wants us to realize that he wants to have fellowship. The meal was fellowship. It wasn't just about the food. It was about fellowship and acceptance. And, uh, and that was something that's very important. And so Luke chapter 7 kind of really gets to the heart of what it means to have a Thanksgiving meal with Jesus. And so we're going to look at that this morning. So beginning with verse 36, hear these words from God's holy, inerrant, infallible, uh, inspired word. In chapter 7, verse 36, And one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed him with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. And a certain money lender, that's a banker, uh, had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will, you lo- will love him more? 
And Simon answered, well, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with my, her tears, wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to ask them, uh, say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. May God add his blessing on his word. Let us pray. Lord, we come to a text like this, and uh, Lord, we, can, uh, we can't come to a text like this with all these preconceptions of who Jesus uh, is unless we understand, uh, Father, more about what he came to do. And so, Father, we come as uh, sinners saved by grace, but we come also as, as people who sometimes fail to realize the debt of sin that you paid. Uh, it took the cross of Calvary to pay for. And Father, with great cost, you have paid for our sins. And so this morning we come not only confessing our sins of omission, but our sins of commission. But we also confess, Father, to you that we don't understand and don't appreciate the way we should, the depth of Christ's love for us demonstrated on the cross. And so, Father, may you uh, may you instill that and deepen that, that desire and that understanding of the cross in each of our hearts this morning. May we, Father, like the woman, may we weep at the feet of Jesus, but may they be tears like hers, tears of joy, tears of thanksgiving. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, the pilgrims held their first Thanksgiving uh, a number of years ago when they came, 1663, and they held a Thanksgiving feast a year later, but it was only after half the colony had died. There was over 100 people that came, but uh, of 102 colony, uh, colonists, there were, uh, there were only um, half of those people left, and there were only two women that survived. Uh, the rest of them were men, children. Can you imagine all those children without, without a mother to raise them? Uh, and yet those pilgrims made it uh, after that first winter. Uh, governor Bradford, who they had appointed as governor, uh, he, um, he actually had a, an announcement, a proclamation. And, and at that proclamation, he basically asked that we have a day of celebration to give thanks to God for all of his goodness and his care for us. And you think about the, the sadness that they, they felt. And yet there was a sense in which they wanted to remember the mercies of God just uh, for getting them through the winter and also to celebrate with the, the native Indians at that time and to give thanks to God uh, for his bounty. And in a similar way, that's what we see here in, uh, in, and actually in Luke chapter 7, is that we see Jesus setting down in a meal. Now, this is not called a Thanksgiving meal, but in fact, it really is if you stop to think about what this woman is going to, uh, uh, she's going to do because she's the uninvited guest. Uh, it's kind of like showing up at Thanksgiving meal and saying like, uh, boy, I'm looking forward to eating. And it's like, 
you are. I don't, did you get an invitation? No, but I'm, I'm here. <laughs> and uh, so she shows up at this, uh, this feast in Luke chapter 7. So Jesus is invited, and when he comes to the meal, as was the custom for those days, is that when you honored any guest that you had in the house, um, you would honor them by having your, whoever it is in your house, it could be a servant or someone else, wash their feet. Uh, you would also, um, at the same time, in, in addition to that, you would anoint their head with oil. To sh that's a, a, a way of respecting them. Uh, and, uh, you know, so you, so you get the water for their feet, you get the oil for their head, and, uh, and you, would, you would show them the proper respect that you would show any, any visitor. But what's happening in, in, in Luke chapter 7 is we see that there's some, some reason that the, the Pharisee skips that. In fact, he doesn't do that. Jesus comes in in verse 36, and it says he just takes his place at the table. So the, so the man basically, he skips all the, the proper respect, the proper way to show uh, respect to your guests. And, uh, and so he uh, has Jesus, Jesus goes and sits down. And, and the key to this text is understand that Jesus, as he's there, there's two people, and anytime there's two people, the text is asking you, which one are you? So, so, so like, for example, the tax collector in the center, you know, the Pharisee that he stood up, and, or the Pharisee who stood up and said, I'm not like this other man, and the sinner, that, that the Bible's asking you, which one are you? And so as we read this text, we, uh, Jesus, Jesus is really giving us this, this story, a, a true story of which happened to him, and he's saying, which one are you? Which one of these people are you? And, and so as we read through this text, we also are to ask, well, what do you think of Jesus? What is your real thoughts about Jesus? How, how would you say you, uh, how, do you, how do you relate to him? And so we want to look at Simon just first because Simon's the Pharisee. He's a religious man. He's a person who knows the law. He, he knows the scriptures. He's, he's got a reputation of goodness. He's got this reputation of morality and self-righteousness or righteousness. And, and in those days, uh, uh, he would be considered uh, somebody that you would look up to. I mean, he knew, he knew the Bible. He knew the Bible at that time. And so here we have him throwing this party. He probably was wealthy enough because in those days what would happen is when you threw a, uh, you had a guest in your home, oftentimes you would have it in the courtyard. In that courtyard, what would happen is that it would be like a block party. People from the neighborhood could come and just stand around the edges and listen. And the table was like a U-shape, and you sat at the table, you laid on your elbow. And you ate like this. And so his feet would be towards the wall. All the guests, they would be, in Jesus' feet at least, in this, this case, was towards the wall. And, um, and so here's this woman. She comes in because she wants to hear Jesus. Because she's heard that he has a reputation for being somebody that's really, that has a, has a reputation of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And you go like, oh, so she's heard about Jesus. She's heard Jesus preach, um, and as you, and she's even heard about Jesus uh, raising the, uh, the the woman whose uh, son had died, the widow of Nain. In chapter five, he raises uh, her son from the 
And so she's heard about Jesus, that's, that, this, that he's so much different and that he, he really does care for people who have needs, especially people he came to save. And so this, is, so this is kind of the setting, if you will. And so it was very, as, you, as, you, as, as the text says, what was customary to do for Jesus was to give Jesus a kiss on the cheek, to anoint his head with oil, and to wash his feet. But Simon just dis, dismisses it. And Jesus goes and sits down. And so, so the Pharisee has one kind of goal in mind. He's, he's there to test Jesus to see if Jesus is who he says he really is. In fact, it, it kind of comes out in verse, um, in verse uh, 49 of chapter 7 there is because he asked the, asked the question, who is this who even forgives sins? That's the question everybody that was standing around Jesus is asking. When Jesus says, woman, your sins are forgiven, they're saying, who is this that forgives sins? Well, it's the Son of God. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of men. And so they're, they're, they're wondering, well, what, what's going on here? And Jesus uses this occasion not only to reach out to this woman, but he uses the, the occasion to, to reach out to this religious, self-righteous Pharisee who's sitting there with his nose up and kind of going like, well, we'll just see who this Jesus really is. We'll, we'll, we'll sit here and we'll put him under the scope of our, uh, our examination here and see if he really does fit the bill for being a Messiah. But the sinful woman is not struck with Jesus. She's not struck with her reputation, although she has a reputation, because we know from the text that she's probably a woman who is probably a prostitute. She's well known in the community. Whoa. Uh, but there's something that's happened to her. It's not, she's not the same woman because we're going to see from her response and the way she treats Jesus that something's happened. She's got a, she's got a new heart. But her, she's struck with something else about Jesus. She's struck with Jesus' reputation. She knows that Jesus forgives sinners and that she's a sinner. She's got a need, and she knows that Jesus is a friend of sinners. This woman sees something about Jesus that Simon misses and she displays it as, as you can think. It would be, um, it would be a somewhat of embarrassing because Jesus is sitting there, he's eating, and this simple woman who has this reputation comes, is at his feet and she just begins to weep because she knows that Jesus has forgiven her sins. And she's weeping and crying to the degree that her, her tears are falling on his feet and she realizes that, uh, and she falls on her knees and she lets down her hair, which if you did that in public, uh, you could actually, uh, your husband could divorce you, by the way. Well, she wasn't married at this point. But in that culture, it was a very, it was like, it was like you don't do that except in your bedroom. That, that, that was the idea. In that culture, it was very, un, un, it was just not acceptable to let down your hair in public, a woman. And so she falls at his feet, her hair's hanging down, and she begins to, to wash and dry his feet off. And then she brings in this flask of oil, this alabaster flask of oil, and that was probably her life savings. That was the most expensive thing. To, it would be, be like carrying your bank account around in your pocket. And she breaks the flask over the feet of Jesus instead of on his head as a, as a way of just showing that she was just, she was just so, so overwhelmed with thanksgiving and praise 
and love for Jesus. It's, it's, it's an extravagant display. It's almost, it, it, it's, it's, it's an, a passionate way of saying, you are so worthy of my worship and my love and my devotion. I could care what anybody around here thinks. And you know what everybody else was thinking? I mean, think about it. Uh, they're probably thinking, what in the world is a woman like that doing at a dinner like this? showing this kind of an affection for Jesus. And there's a lot of eyebrows being raised, and there's probably a lot of talk going on right now. And Jesus, of course, realizes that. But do you know that Simon is spiritually blind, isn't he? He's blind not only to Jesus, he's blind to himself, and he's blind to what's happened in this woman's life. Because you see it from the text that Jesus begins to kind of, Jesus begins to, um, to show his wisdom and his fact that he knows what you think. And remember what Simon does here? Simon is saying to himself in verse 39, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, Jesus is reading his mind. He knows exactly what he's saying. He's not saying this out loud. If this man were a prophet, he would have known and who it, and what sort of woman that is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. Now, Jesus even admits that she's a woman that has lots of sins. Notice that in verse 49. This woman, um, you know, actually verse 40, 48 there, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then earlier on it says her sins, which were many, were forgiven. Simon realizes she's a sinner. And that mentions it. But Jesus answered to him, said, Simon, I have something to say to you. So now Jesus is going to start kind of, kind of instructing Simon, Simon about what it is, what worship is about and what salvation is about. Salvation is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not just about the formality of worship. It's not just about singing a song. It's, I mean, all those, those are part of worship. But worship is a relationship with the God of heaven. And she realizes that Jesus is not just an ordinary man, that he's the God of heaven. I mean, think about it. If Jesus Christ walked into this room, although, I mean, in his glory and majesty, we would all be on our faces, and many of us would be kissing his feet and saying, thank you that you love me so much that you would die for me. We, we would be, and, and weeping, and we, we could care like, we would care like, I don't care who sees this. This is, he is worthy. He is worthy of that kind of worship. He's worthy of that kind of affection. So what Jesus does is he gives a parable. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> you know, here Simon's thinking, I'm the goat of religion. I'm the greatest of all time. I've done it all. I've done it all right. I've, I've crossed my T's. I've dotted my I's. I've lived this perfect life, at least externally from what people can see, but in his heart. He had no love for people and no love for God. And Jesus sees that. He might be the goat, of, goat of, of religion, the greatest of all time in religion, but guess what? He's blind to himself and his own sin. Because sin is basically, I mean, ultimately sin is saying this, Lord, I don't need you. I can do it on my own. That's living my life and saying, I don't need, I don't need anyone. I don't need God to tell me what to do. In fact, I am, I am just, I can do it on my own and I can stand before God on my own in my own merit and say, look, you're going to have to accept me on my own merit. And God says, no way, Jose. 
That's why Jesus died. And so here's this woman. Jesus is basically saying, okay, Simon, I'm going to give you a little bit of a lesson here. I'm going to give you a parable. And the parable is this. One man owes 500 denarii, which would be two years of wages. And another person owes two months of wages. And he says, and the money lender, who's the banker probably in this case, he forgives them both. Now, Simon, who's going to love him the most? Well, of course, the, the man that he forgave the biggest debt, the two years, I mean, two years of wages, that'd be like $100,000 in today's thinking, maybe depending on what the average salary is. Any, uh, but it would be basically, uh, it would be a, 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 a large amount. And Simon gets it right. He says, well, I suppose the person who he forgave the most, and Jesus said, you got it. But the problem that you don't get is that you don't understand that you are just as much a sinner as this woman. Because your sins of omission are just as bad as your, this woman's sins of commission. I mean, think about it. What are the sins of omission that he forgot to do? He got, forgot to show Christ even the respect that was due Jesus Christ. Even just the common, the common decency of just washing his feet. Showing him proper respect as a person, but, but even more so, his, his total blindness to who Jesus really is. His total blindness to himself. His blindness to the fact that this woman, he scorned this woman. I, um, I remember uh, in Chicago, and I, I'll, I'll hopefully get this, this example, is, just shows how, how, how dull I was at the time. But uh, I don't think I've told this story here, but I was in Chicago on business. I, I had to fly from Detroit over to Chicago. I was, I was, uh, I'd spent the day working at the Chicago Fed, and I was walking down Michigan Avenue with uh, a friend, Jay, and he was uh, working with me in, in the accounting office in Detroit. And so we're walking down the street, and this uh, prostitute comes up to me, and she grabs my arm. And she says, honey, do you want to have a good time? And I'm going like, no, get out of here, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and then she grabs Jay's arm. And she tells Jay the same thing. And Jay goes crazy. And, uh, she, and he says, get out of here. And, of course, she walks on. And then Jay says, she stole my wallet. And I'm thinking like, oh, boy, we're making a scene on Michigan Avenue. And I'm going to be right on the news. You know, I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be one of those things where, uh, you know, uh, manager of accounting, uh, <laughs> uh, well, anyway, that, that didn't happen. Uh, but anyway, he ran up to the woman. He says, Hun you, you stole my, my, my wallet. And she says, honey, what kind of woman do you think I am? And he said, well, I mean, I mean she, and, and then he looks around and he says, oh, I'm sorry. I, must, I put it in my back. And, of course, I was ready to kill him. Uh, but what was sad about that, in a sense, was as I thought about that story later, I think I was more concerned about what people would think than about that woman. I didn't see her as a person. I didn't see her as a person in need. Now, I know that you have to be careful in those situations, and it's not, I mean, if I'd handed her something, I probably might have been arrested as if I was offering her money. Uh, but the point is, is I didn't see her as a person. I didn't see her as a person in need who actually needed to have her sins forgiven to be relieved of the debt and the weight that was on top of her to tell her about one who would carry her burdens but also one who would remove her sins and who would forgive her. And, uh, and I thought, you know, I don't know if I'd, had a, if I'd had a track on me. I don't know if I'd given it to her at the time. 
I mean, that was just, I'm just showing you. I mean, it's just like all of a sudden we're, we're stuck with this thing like we're so infected with what people think that sometimes we don't do the loving thing and the gracious thing in this case. But, but notice how Jesus says this about this story. He says, the person who loves much and shows that love to Jesus is the person who's been forgiven much. Now, it doesn't mean that we have to go out and commit great sins. We just have to realize that the sins that we have are great sins. In other words, to view our sins not as just... I mean, think about the sin of gossip, the sin of envy, the sin of pride, the the, the sin of unforgiveness, all the sins of omission that we're guilty of are just as much sins as the sins that this woman had committed. She'd, she'd committed outward acts of sin. But what Jesus is saying, but she's showing by her demonstration of her love at the feet of Jesus, extravagant, it's, 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 it's over the top, if you will, from our perspective, but not from God's. But he's saying that that kind of, that kind of response to having our sins forgiven is the kind of love that Jesus wants to see in our worship, isn't it? Shouldn't, in other words, if what Jesus is saying is that there's a direct correlation between how we view our sinfulness and the kind of affection and love that we give to Jesus. Why is it that people don't seem worship is not that important? Because worship is a reflection. Now, you know, our, our worship is, is not what it should be perfectly. We don't worship perfectly. We won't until we get to heaven. But worship is a display of how we view ourselves, sinners forgiven. And, and, it's, and, it's a, and it's an expression of gratitude and thanksgiving to God. See, Seer is the woman who's uninvited who actually is becoming the hostess. Isn't that cool? Isn't that, isn't, that, isn't that shocking to us as we think about this? As she becomes the hostess, even though, though she's un, uninvited to the dinner. And you're going, this is crazy. <laughs> this, is, this is turning everything upside down because this woman understands who Jesus really is and gives him the worship that Jesus deserves. And with all of abandonment, she, she, she falls at Jesus' feet, and she worships him. You know, so Jesus is teaching here that people who demonstrate the greatest love for him are those who have the greatest awareness of their sinfulness. See, maturity as a Christian is this. Uh, and I, the, I, the, God took a long time for, for me to learn this. You ever feel like you're kind of like, I feel like I'm dull at times? That, the, that as you grow as a Christian, you grow in your awareness of your sinfulness. You don't see it when you're first saved. You say, well, I'm a sinner. Yeah, I broke this and I did that. But guess what? As you grow in your awareness of who Jesus is and his holiness and his goodness and what, he, and what we owe him, and as you become aware of your sin and aware of how big your sin is, guess what? You, all this other, you understand that Jesus is a big Jesus and he's a big Savior. Well, and what do you have? You have a big cross because there's a big gulf between us and God because he's holy and I'm a sinner. 
And that cross gets very big. And the only one that can bridge that gulf is Jesus Christ. And we shouldn't go around with this loopy, well, you know, I just got saved. <laughs> well, if you got saved, you didn't convince me of anything. <laughs> Why aren't we lavishing love and praise and thanksgiving on Jesus? Because that's worship. Don't be ashamed of, the, I mean, it's, and, and Jesus is not, we're not saying, you know, wild emotion, although it might be sometimes. I mean, when Jonathan Edwards, when there, became, there was a revival back in the 1700s at the church that he was preaching at for 20-some years, um, people were falling in the aisles, weeping. And it wasn't weeping of, I'm a horrible sinner. No, it was weeping because I'm a horrible sinner, but look at the cross and the forgiveness that God has provided through Jesus Christ. There should be that joy because, look, none of us are worthy. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And so if you're going to grow and mature as a Christian, you're going to grow in your awareness of who Jesus is and his glory and his majesty, but you're also going to grow in your understanding of how sinful you really are. And then you're going to marvel and say, what a great loving Savior, that he loved me despite what he saw in me. That's grace. That's what it means to understand the love of God. That's what it means to, 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 to grow as a Christian. I mean, even Paul, at the end of his life, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he says this. He says, I am the chief of sinners. He said that at the end of his life. It wasn't that Paul was out there sinning more. No, it's, he just saw, boy, you know, there's still a lot, there's still a lot of pride in me. There's still a lot of selfishness in me. There's still a lot of things. Paul was just more aware of his sinfulness. But he became more aware of how loving God is. And that the Lord Jesus Christ is, he, that, that the evidence of our having been forgiven is, is, is really the way that we express that love and worship and praise to him. You know, we, we're indebted. He's forgiven us. Sin, I mean, sin is like this weight that, that, uh, and, and this condemnation that God lifts off of you at the cross. And you're a free person. And he gives you a new identity. He doesn't just say, okay, you've been forgiven, but, but, you, but I'm watching you. <laughs> what does he do? He calls us sons and daughters of the living God. Now, that's, that's exciting, isn't it? That, that's the kind, that, in other words, that's the kind of forgiveness that God gives. He forgives us, and he doesn't say, okay, but I've got, I'm keeping the record. He took that record, it says in Colossians, and he says, and he nailed it to the cross. He nailed my sin to the cross. And that, and that brothers and sisters, the kind of response we give to that is, Lord, you deserve all the glory. <laughs> I don't deserve any of it. It wasn't me that decided to do this. It was you because you loved it. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. We're ungodly. And you say, but I haven't gone out there and robbed any banks. Yeah, but guess what? If you live your life as if Jesus doesn't exist, as if he's not important enough to worship and to love and to serve, then guess what? That's a person who's forgotten that they're a sinner saved by grace. Or haven't experienced 
that forgiveness. I want to close with a story. There's a lady at uh, one of the conferences I just went to the, uh, back in October. It was, uh, and, um, but this lady wasn't at this conference, but she was at an earlier conference, but she had this childhood memory of her, her, her parents. And I'm going to close with this. And uh, she saw her, uh, uh, when she was younger, when she was little, she saw her older sister washing her dad's shirts, and she wanted to show the same kind of love for her daddy as she, that she saw her sister giving. And so she w- but she was too small. She couldn't hang the shirts on the clothesline. Not like, I guess, the days of, you know, having the dryers. Yeah, I mean, I remember the clothesline. Um, but anyway, she, she washed her daddy's white shirt, and she hung it on this wheelbarrow. But she didn't realize that the wheelbarrow had rusty handles. And her father got home, and he saw his shirt, and he scolded her. And uh, he became angry, and he punished her, actually. You know, she didn't realize that that event had such an impact on how she viewed our Father in Heaven. She'd come to know Christ. She had understood that Christ had perfectly atoned for her sin, that she was forgiven, not on the record of her own record, but on the record that Jesus has, perfect righteousness. The counselor that she was seeing at the time, she says, I I know now what would have happened that uh, she's basically said, you know, I I think what would happen is that Jesus would just forget that the shirt, uh, that God would forget that uh, the shirt was was rusty and that he would just give me a big hug. And the counselor said, no, you still don't get it, do you? He said, you know what God would do? He would take the shirt and he would wear it with all its rust spots. And when someone saw the shirt and commented on how rusty it looked, he'd say, but this is what my little girl did for me. See, Jesus, as, we, as people look at the marks on his hands, what do you think he says? Who put those marks there? Your sin. I took those marks because I love my children so much. I was willing to die and go to the cross so that you might be forgiven. And Jesus wouldn't, he wouldn't say, that's because these are my kids and I love them so much. See, that's the gospel. It's gospel. That's why Jesus said, come unto me, all you that weary and heavy laden. Jesus is saying, come. And you say, but, 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 but just wait. Wait until I clean up my life good enough so that God will accept me. And God's saying, you can't do anything to get there. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, and Jesus washes it white as snow. See, that's the beauty of this text this morning. I just think, I think, you know, as I, as I thought about this, what I was wondering, you know, as, as I'm looking at Simon and I'm looking at the woman, sometimes I think I act like Simon. Now, I know I'm not Simon because I know that I've been saved by the grace of God and forgiven. I know that I stand in the righteousness of Christ, not because of anything I've done. I've received that as a gift. But sometimes, the way that I look at other people, though, I have a Simon look. And not the look of Christ. I don't know what I did. And sometimes, sometimes I see myself as the woman. And there's sometimes I'm melted with tears at God's love, that God would love me. So much that he's willing to give his only begotten son.
to die on a cruel and ugly cross to pay for all the sins that I had committed, past, present, and future. And then sometimes I fail to realize that, but that's who my Savior is. Because Christianity at its very core is this. God loves you so much that he's willing to sacrifice his best in order to forgive you and to give you life. And that's the beauty of this text this morning. And I, I just trust as you think about Thanksgiving and you think about celebrating Thanksgiving, may that be at the very heart of what it means as you sit down for the, to eat. Is Lord, yes, I thank you for all the good things you've done. I thank you for my family, my wife, my children. I thank you for the, the comfort of this home. But Lord, most of all, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you that you love me so much to die on the cross to forgive my sins. Now that is what it means to celebrate Thanksgiving with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the close of this service, Lord, I just thank you. Thank you for the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. And thank you, Father, that as brothers and sisters and as those who gather here today, that, Father, you've shown us from your word that, Father, in everything give thanks, especially for the forgiveness that is ours in Christ Jesus, to whom belongs glory, honor, praise, dominion, and power forevermore. And we pray this in his holy name. Amen.